Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the King's House Podcast. We are a non-denominational church located in McAuster, Oklahoma, reaching and serving those in our community and around the world. We believe that church is not just something you go to, but it's a family you belong to. And a house is just a house until family is there, then that house becomes a home. So today, we want to say welcome home as we jump into today's service. Who is that crazy, skinny, white boy walking up on stage and where is our pastor? First of all, thank you. Secondly, um, Pastor Mark is actually speaking at a church in Seminole, Oklahoma this morning. How many of you guys are so grateful that what God is doing here at the King's House is reaching beyond our community right now? It's amazing. And I know you also might be all like, Seminole, Oklahoma is not very far and it's kind of small, right? Well, listen, the same Pastor Mark was invited to Dream City Church in Phoenix, Arizona, a mega church only a few months ago speaking there as well. God is just doing amazing things and the relationships that are being built here, it's incredible. So we're on part three of this series, I Can't Help Falling in Love. You guys been enjoying it so far? It's incredible, isn't it? Pastor Mark actually told me this week as I was getting ready to speak on his behalf, um, he said, Chris, I'm, I'm serious, man. Every time I've been getting ready for these messages, I literally am finding myself in tears getting ready for this because as a, as a follower of Jesus, like it's just such a great reminder that this is why I keep falling in love with this man named Jesus. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus yet, this is a great opportunity for you to hear why we do what we do and commit our lives to this because it's incredible. I would not change it one bit. Hey, if you got your Bibles, we're gonna turn to the book of John chapter eight. And we're gonna read a relatively long story to kick this off with. It's gonna be 11 verses, okay? So we're gonna read this. I'm gonna be reading it out of the Passion Translation. You've probably have heard this before, but I'm gonna say it uh, hopefully in a new way that you could actually pull something else out of it today. And through this story in preparation for this morning, I actually have four different truths that we can pull out of this and find out why you can fall more in love with this man named Jesus. Anybody excited about what God has this morning? I got a little experiment that I'm gonna do up here. So fingers crossed, everything works out really well. But before I start, let's open in a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for an opportunity to be used by you to come into this house with, with my church family, Lord. And I just ask that you would use me this morning to speak not my words, but your words straight to their hearts, Father. Lord, that they will hear your truth, your love, your grace, and your forgiveness through today's message. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. All right, I'm gonna read this kind of fast, so stick with me, okay? John chapter eight, verses one through 11 says this. Jesus walked up to the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and he taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the law of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. 
angry, they kept insisting that he answered their questions. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accuser slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest with a convicted conscience until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and he said to her, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. And Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go and from now on be free from a life of sin. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message is I can't help falling in love because the way he restores. This story is such an amazing example of what Jesus does in our lives. He takes our broken mess and he just restores it to something brand new. So let's dive into this a little bit more. In verse two, the Bible says that this woman is caught in the very act of adultery. So let's go back, let's backtrack a little bit. And I want you to picture this in your mind, okay? Jesus is in the town square, okay? And he's hanging out with his home group. Do I have any home groupies in the house today? Come on. I love home groups, man. Such relationships are built there. It's incredible. So Jesus is hanging out with his home groupies and they're in the town square. It's a beautiful spring day like today and they're having a Bible study. And all of a sudden, these Pharisees, Think pastors of the community, okay? Drag this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and threw her before Jesus in the middle of this town square, interrupting his Bible study. You wanna talk about like a shocker, like what is about to happen next, right? Okay, I have to pause here really quick. We don't have time to unpack these questions, but if you go to your home group this week, you can maybe talk about it with your home group or think about it yourself. Number one, it takes two to tango, baby. So if this woman was caught in the very act of adultery and it's just her being thrust in front of everybody, it begs the question, where was the dude in this? Come on, ladies, am I right? Why is she the only one getting accused of this? <laughs> the second thing is that if these Pharisees, these religious leaders, the pastors of the community caught her in the very act of adultery, here's the other question. Where were you at, you peeping Tom, when you caught this woman doing adultery? Like what? Y'all can unpack that with your home group later this week. But it's serious, like what in the world is going on here? Listen, I gotta do something really quick and kind of show y'all something to kind of give you a visual aid. I love visual aids and so do your kids, by the way, of what the Bible talks about. Here's a white, clean heart. Everyone say, aww. Listen, God is holy. He's pure. He's without blemish, right? And sin cannot abide with him. There's no light and darkness, but us, well, we're born into a sinful world. I mean, at the age of two, no one taught you how to lie and you told a lie. And no one taught you how to steal that cookie that wasn't your cookie, but you took that cookie anyway. And, and as you grow up, your sin, your temptations, the things that you gave into started to get just a little bit more intense, a little bit more deeper. And before you know it, uh, you kind of look like this to God kind of stained, kind of dirty, kind of gross. Like we know this, right? Like the woman was caught in the very act of adultery. She was having sex with someone that wasn't her spouse. It's a sin. It was a sin in the Old Testament. It's a sin in the New Testament. And when God saw that, like he, he sees this, but listen, this isn't where the story ends because if it did, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> Amen. Like seriously, this is not where the story ends. But I also wanna make something else very, very clear to you this morning. This message is not a condemning message. So if you've been guilty of doing what this woman has done, this is not about shame on you, okay? Keep listening because I have to clarify something for everybody today. Sin is sin to God, period. There is no gray area. It's black or white. A lie is a sin. 
taking something that's not yours is a, homosexuality is a sin. I'm not making the rules, it's in the Bible. So in this culture, in this day and age, we have so many things to where we're twisting the truth to where we want it to align with what we want instead of what God says. And I'm just here today to remind you, listen, if you've done some things, and we all know in our own minds what we've done, this isn't a, this isn't a message that's, that's pointing fingers at you saying shame on you because I've told lies before. I've taken stuff that's not mine before. I've done stuff that I regret. I'm just as guilty as anyone else, if not this woman in our story that looked like this, okay? So this is not a condemning message at all. These guys, these Pharisees, these religious leaders threw this lady in front of this home group Bible study. And if she was caught in the very act of adultery, chances are she probably wasn't clothed very well. So this is like the most humiliating moment of this woman's life because the law of Moses did in fact state that she is to be stoned to death. Like her life is over. She broke the law of God. And in this moment, these Pharisees didn't even see her as a person. They saw her as a tool to try to trick Jesus to say something that would mess him up, okay? And I'm gonna pause here again for a moment to, I I guess, acknowledge that uh, we are really, really good at pointing other people's flaws out, aren't we? And we're really, really good at hiding our own flaws. And that's what these Pharisees were doing, especially in today's society with TikTok and Twitter and Instagram. Someone does something wrong in a restaurant one time and a quick video is posted. It's being shared like crazy. People are making mean comments and rude remarks. Listen, this is something that they constantly would do as Pharisees. They would look at, see what other people were doing wrong and make a public spectacle of them. King's House, may it not ever be said of us as Christ followers, that we are using other people's faults as examples of what not to do. That's not what Jesus did, even in this story. If Jesus was alive today, I imagine he would probably be taking TikTok dance videos and selfies with people just like this woman who were in the lowest of lows because God came to love the underdog. God came to restore people who are broken. And even back then, People would be saying, Jesus, don't do this. This is bad for your brand, bro. Like they're losers. And if you hang out with them, you're going to eventually become a loser. You're going to maybe miss out on reaching more people because you're hanging out with people like her. Listen, how many of you guys are grateful that Jesus did not care about his reputation? He came to save every single body. And I love it. In Philippians chapter two, verse seven through eight, the Bible says that he being Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. Jesus made himself of no reputation, friends, which means that he wasn't just God in human flesh. He was God in human flesh that came to reach everybody everywhere. It didn't matter who you were. And I'm so, so grateful we have that savior in our lives. Verse six, the story goes on to say that Jesus is kind of in a no-win situation right here. This woman accused of adultery is thrown before his home group, interrupting the service of what's going on. And they're saying, Jesus, what should be done with her? Law of Moses says she should be stoned to death. I gotta pause here really quick because in today's society, being stoned to death doesn't mean probably what you're thinking right now medicinally, okay? Not that kind of stoned to death. As a matter of fact, um, this stoned to death was one of the worst ways to die because if you were found guilty, and I think we can all agree that this woman was guilty, um, anyone could pick up a rock or two or three and throw it at this individual as many times as you want to gouging out eyes, cuts, 
scrapes, bruises, broken bones, to the point to where they are in the fetal position trying to hide their, their main organs and everything. And that's when the real stoning begins. Then those same people who picked up little pebbles would walk up to you with a giant boulder that they could lift above their head like a medicine ball at CrossFit and chunk it as hard as they could, crushing your skull. Horrible way to die. So these guys are literally asking Jesus, this is what the law of Moses says. Now, what do you say? It's like a no-win situation for Jesus because on one hand, if he says, absolutely, law of Moses says that, go ahead, kill her. Well, then he loses all reputation of who he says he is, the son of God who extends love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. What is Jesus gonna do? Because on the flip side of that coin, if Jesus says, no, man, it's okay, she's forgiven, don't worry about it, you know, let's, let's excuse her. Well, now he's guilty of breaking the law of Moses that God gave to Moses. What in the heck is Jesus gonna do? He doesn't say anything. Instead, he gets down and in the dirt with his finger, he starts writing or drawing. It doesn't really tell us what happened because if you've heard this story before, you're asking the question, what did Jesus write in the dirt? Anybody ever ask that, yourself that question when you've heard this before? What did he write? The answer is, we don't know. Literally, the Bible doesn't say, I wish I could say this is what the Bible says. It doesn't. But Bible, um, people who study the Bible and historians are actually led to believe based upon the context of the scripture, because the original uh, language of the New Testament is Greek. So we got to go back to the Greek to see what's going on in here. And that word or that phrase to write down, there's two different meanings in the Greek. And I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce this right. So excuse me if uh, anybody's all like, yeah, he, he botched it. Listen, one word is the Greek word grapho. I think I said that right. It just means to write down, simple. But in this context of Jesus bending down in the dirt to write down, it's actually the Greek word katakrino. Sounds fun, it just kind of rolls off the tongue, katakrino. And this means uh, to give judgment against, to write down against. So a lot of historians are led to believe that Jesus bent down in the dirt and was writing the names and the sins of the pastors of the community who were hypocrites who were accusing the lady of doing something. It's kind of mind boggling to believe that because when they're asking Jesus, what do you think we should do? And they're trying to catch him and trick him. He bends down, he writes down, doesn't say anything. They get angry and they are like, what should we do? Jesus stands up and said, okay, whoever's without sin, you'd be the first one to throw a rock at her. Goes back down, starts writing again. I've grown up and I've heard this story all my life and I've heard the phrase, whoever is without sin, you'd be the first one to throw a rock at her. But again, going back to the original Greek in this passage, break it down, it actually carries a much heavier weight because we all can agree that from a very young age, two years old, three years old, four years old, we've lied, we cheated, we steal, like we're, we're horrible people, come on. Is it really possible? Jesus is like, if you've never sinned, you'd be the first one to throw a stone. Well, shoot, of course we're all gonna drop our rocks. We've all sinned. The Bible even says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But the original Greek translation of this actually means when Jesus said this, he said, if you've never had the desire to sin, you'd be the first one to throw a rock. Well, that carries a heavier weight, doesn't it? Because I don't know about you guys, but when sin comes knocking at my door and I push it away and I'm like, yeah, that, that was good. I said no to that. 
but there was a really big part of me on the inside that wanted to do that. Am I the only one? Come on, like seriously, be real with yourself. If you're all like, really, the pastor's admitting that? Yes, because I promised myself when I became a pastor that I was not gonna be a fake pastor. I was not gonna put on a church mask and pretend my life is holier than thou's and everything's great. No, what people need to remember is that pastors are people too and people are imperfect and we need Jesus just like you, okay? Seriously, I am not gonna pretend to be someone I'm not. So all of this to say, we're really, really good at pointing our fingers at other people's flaws. And we're really good about hiding our own. But you may have heard this phrase before, and it's something I'm teaching my, my children. But when you point your finger to cast blame and judgment at somebody else, you better be careful, baby. Because you've got three more fingers pointing directly at you. We are just as guilty of people making mistakes just as much. So here's something that is so crucial to this story. The lady is a sinner. It's, it's clear. It's true. The law of Moses says that she should be put to death. But Jesus does something even greater. He looks at her and says, I don't condemn you. You're free. Go and live a life free from sin. In other words, Jesus looked at her, had compassion on her, had mercy on her and said, I forgive you. And he washed away all of her stains. King's house, Jesus washes away all of our stains. And that's actually the first truth I wanna pull out of the story today is that he erases our past. If you're taking notes, write that down. He erases our past. He doesn't remember it. He don't care to remember it because he loves you more than what you've done wrong. Jesus didn't look at that woman and say, you are an embarrassment. How could you do something so, so sinful? No. He looked at her and had compassion on her. And you can hear in his words when he says, go and live a life free from sin. He's not casting judgment. You can actually hear the urgency in Jesus's voice. He's like, go, you're free. Fly, little birdie, fly. You don't have to live a life bound in darkness anymore. Go and live a life free from all of the lower things that you have been satisfied with. Go and live a life better than this. Go and live a life further in truth which brings us to truth number two out of our story. It is this, is that he gives me a new future. Jesus erases our past and he gives us a new future. We know this part. As kids, we are born into a sinful world. We make mistakes. We say dumb things. We do dumb things. Heck, we may be even as guilty as this lady in the story who's done something that is a sin. Listen, we know how this goes. We're sinners, but in Jesus, we are clean. We know how the story goes, but I'm so grateful and so glad that the story doesn't just end right here. And I'm gonna show you why as we continue on this morning, because as I talk to your kids about um, characters in the Bible that I talk to them about, I like to get in the minds of the characters so I can kind of bring it down to their level. So let's imagine for an example that this woman was an evil woman, okay? Like from her adolescence, she woke up every single morning saying, whose marriage can I ruin today? Who can I sleep with today to make them lose their marriage or lose their job or get in trouble here or get in trouble there? And chances are, that's probably not true. Chances are she was just a normal person. The Bible doesn't give us her name. People are led to believe who she could have been, but we don't know for sure. Um, so the Bible doesn't tell us who she is. But I like to imagine that she was probably just a normal person, just like us. She maybe had a family, maybe she had a husband. 
And uh, over time, uh, her relationship with her husband started to go flat. The, the romance started to go away. Disagreements and arguments, and they decided we're not gonna go to King's House Marriage Conference because it'll just work out on its own. I don't know, I'm just saying, like literally said no one ever, okay? And so they decide like, okay, you go your way, I'll go my way. We're still married, but we're not soulmates anymore. We're just roommates. And so over time, there was no real relationship there. And I can only imagine that she would confide in a coworker. He was a great listener. And uh, one step led to another. They went for coffee together, which led to a hand touch, ooh, which then led to a hand hold, which then led to a kiss, which then led to a dinner, and which led to a one night stand, which led to the moment that we're at right now where she's caught in the act of adultery and thrown before Jesus in a most humiliating moment of her life. Can I tell you something, King's House? Your life, when we sin, we have blinders on because we're in the moment to where all we can see and all we can focus on is the thing that we desire the most. And we don't, we don't normally take into consideration, what is this gonna cost me? Who is this going to affect in my life? Because I will tell you this, even from experience, your sin will affect other people, even if you don't believe it. And I, I like what uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle, as a matter of fact, says about this. Uh, before I bring that up really quick, um, is, is this right here. How many of you guys would be so bold to raise your hand this morning to say sin can be fun? Some of you guys are like, that is a trick. I am not doing that in church. God is gonna strike me down with lightning right now. Come on, admit to yourself that sin can be fun. Come on, hands up, be honest with yourself. Cause if your hand's not raised, you're not doing it right. You need to do something else. Sin can be fun, okay? Sin can be fun. But here's what Pastor Craig Rochelle says about sin and about what the Bible talks about sin. He says, sin promises satisfaction. There's the fun part, sin can be fun. Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain to you. Some of you guys really need to hear that one more time. Sin promises satisfaction, there's that fun, but it's at a cost of completely disobeying God and it's gonna bring eventual pain to you. It's gonna bring eventual pain to your family, your workplace, even your church, your family members, your relationships. Speaking from experience here, like sin can be fun for a moment. The Bible calls it the fleeting pleasures of sin. But I don't know about you guys, I'm so glad that Christ does not condemn us just like he did not condemn this woman. Because condemnation is a sentence, like you are found guilty, baby, you are a sinner. But in the book of Romans chapter eight, verse one, Paul says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I am liberated. I am completely forgiven and I am set free. Condemnation is a final sentence. There's actually a, two different things that people could take from this. This woman was kind of paroled or this girl was pardoned. Well, paroled is a person who is set free because of good behavior, but your record is never changed. The flip side of that coin of being pardoned is a guilty person who is set free, absolved of that conviction as if they were never convicted in the first place, you've been made clean. Your sin, your past has been erased and God has given you a new future and it's incredible. And you're like, well, Pastor Chris, 
If we all agree, your words, not mine, I'm not gonna raise my hand in church and say sin can be fun, but say we all agree that sin can be fun. And if Jesus said, go and live a life free of sin, translation, go and live a life that is boring. It's not really what God was saying at all. And that's not what Jesus was saying at all because holiness isn't mutually exclusive of happiness. If you really follow after God and you are going after the things that makes Christ's hearts beat, in other words, You love the things God loves, you hate the things God hates, and anywhere and everywhere you go, you are sharing the same love, the same mercy, the same forgiveness that he has offered you, not condemning anybody. If you are fully focused on that and you are living a lot, I'm telling you as a believer, God's blessings just keep coming your way. You don't earn it, you don't deserve it, but as a follower of Christ, his blessings just keep coming your way. That is the happiness. That is the true joy of being a follower of Christ. The book of Psalm, David even said this in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, because of you, God, I know the path of life as I tasted the fullness of joy in your presence. In other words, a relationship has established here. And at your right side, I experienced divine pleasures forevermore. So when God was in this, sorry, when Jesus was in this moment, he says, go now and live a life free from sin. He wasn't saying go now and live a life that is boring. He was actually challenging her and saying, I have faith in you to go and live a better life now, which is point number three. The truth of this story, the third truth is that he has faith in us. Did Jesus really send this woman off never thinking that she would never, ever, 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 ever sin again? Because that's impossible, right? We're humans and we're gonna fail let alone that heavier weight that Jesus was talking about. Did he really think that when he dismissed her that she would never, ever, 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 ever have the desire to sin again? Of course not. He knew that she is a human and she's probably gonna make mistakes, but he has faith in us to make a better decision. He has faith in us to call on his name when we need his help. So you guys have heard the phrase, old habits die hard. So going back to this woman's story in particular, I don't think that she just one night committed adultery. It was a slow fade. Bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Those are called bad habits, okay? And some of us face our own type of bad habits. So what do you do, Pastor Chris, when you know that Jesus has completely forgiven me and washed me clean and I am set free and I am sanctified, hallelujah, glory be to God, and you're going through all those church words, but what do you do? Like, come on, let's be real. What do you do when you hear that old familiar knock at your heart and it's that temptation wanting you to open the door again. Come on, we all know when that temptation starts sneaking its way back in again. It may be a little subtle at first and you can resist it for a little bit, but if you don't do something about it, that knock gets a little bit louder, baby. And if you're not careful and if you don't take a stand, they're gonna kick the door open and there you are faced with the same scenario that you've been facing time and time again. So Pastor Chris, what do I do? When I know that Christ has forgiven me, but temptation keeps knocking. Growing up in my teenage life, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13 was my life verse. And I love what the Passion Translation says from it. We all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being. But God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity, nature, and timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. 
That carries such a strong motivation, cinematic movement. Like you're just like, yes. And I wish as your kid's pastor today, I could stand before you and say, I have arrived guys. Every time temptation knocks on my doorstep and, and I'm tempted to make a sinful decision, I stand victoriously every time, baby. But that would be a lie. And uh, doing this made me feel really stupid. Um, anyway, <laughs> Superman. Anyway, Spider-Man doesn't do that. Anyway, so um, it, it, it stands to reason like, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. Temptation comes knocking at my door. What do you do when an old familiar friend, who shouldn't be your friend in the first place, comes knocking at your door to tempt you to do something you know is gonna lead to complete disobedience to God and eventual pain to you? This is a phrase I like to remind myself often. Some of you guys need to write this sucker down. Based on this scripture in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, every temptation is just an invitation for you to depend on Christ's strength above your own. Think about that for a second. No matter what you're facing, every temptation is just an invitation for you to say, God, I can't do this on my own. <laughs> Proven over and over again, I've made mistakes and I've said yes to this far too much, but God, I need your help right now. So let's do a quick recap. Lady caught in the act of adultery, thrown in the middle of a home group. <laughs> the accusers are saying, Jesus, what do we do with her? Well, he corrects the accusers and he forgives the one who's being accused. Number one, he erases our past. Number two, he gives us a new future. Number three, he has faith in us so that we're gonna make better decisions and we're gonna follow after the things that God wants us to follow after. And number four, he includes us in his plan. Pastor Chris, how do you pull that out of that scripture? He includes us in his plan? Where is that? Like, what does that mean? Listen, verse 11 wraps this story up. We don't know who this woman was before the story and we don't know who this woman is after the story. Verse 11, when Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go and live a life free from sin. Wrap it up, story over. But what happened to this woman? I'll tell you what I would have done if I was in her shoes. First of all, I would have put more clothes on afterwards. That's what I would have done. <laughs> Secondly, I would have gone and I would have right all my wrongs. I would have gone and I would have apologized to anyone I hurt. I would man up knowing that by confessing, depending on what it is, I'm gonna have to face some consequences and I may lose a relationship. I may lose trust that people might have in me because of my mistakes, but I'm gonna man up and I'm gonna apologize and I'm gonna right all my wrongs. But in doing so, think about this woman, in doing so, in, in, in doing the I'm sorry's, she goes a step further, says, let me tell you why I'm sorry. I met this man, his name is Jesus, and he's the son of God. And he not only forgave me, which I know you might take a long time to do, I get it, but he forgave me and he completely erased my past and my mistakes. He's given me hope and a new future and he has faith in me. And from now on, I'm gonna follow after him. I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna do my best to follow after him. And when I fail, because it will come, I'm gonna press into his strength above my own. Listen, this is what Christ was saying when he said, go and live a life free from sin. And this is such a beautiful thing. The very next verse, 
Verse 11 wraps up the story. We never hear from this woman again. So in the very next verse, verse 12, Jesus goes back to his home group study, picks up where he left off and these are his words. I am the light of the world and those who embrace me will experience life giving light and they will never walk in darkness. Sounds appropriate, doesn't it? The son of God called himself the light of the world and rightfully so because where there is light, there is no darkness. But let's back up really quick to the first gospel of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. And the son of God who just gave himself the title, I am the light of the world, says something very special about you and me as followers of Jesus. Check this out in Matthew chapter five, verse 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. You, sitting right here, right now in King's house and watching online, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And also people do not light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. Then it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine so that others can see it. Then they will see the good things you do and they will bring glory to your father who is in heaven. Jesus wants to include you in his plan to share your testimony of what he's done to you so that that same grace, that same love and that same forgiveness can be shared with other people. That restoration kind of love. Where you're at, what Christ has done for you. We're commanded to go back into our homes, go back into our workplaces, go back into our schools and let your light shine. Don't let your light be hidden. Oh, I'm a Christian, God forgave me, yay, yay. Shout it from the rooftops, guys. Christ has forgiven me of my sins. I'm completely liberated. I am forgiven. I'm set free and you can be too. Let me tell you about this man named Jesus. There were two people, two types of people there that day. The first set were the hypocrites, the pastors of the community, people who thought if I pray loud enough, if I sing loud enough, if I attend church enough, if I dress a certain way, I'm gonna make it to heaven. But behind closed doors, they were just as guilty of doing sins, just like this woman was. Then there was the woman who was caught in adultery, humiliated, shamed because of what she did, not because of shame from Jesus. Jesus never shames you. Exposed, thinking I am literally about to die right now because of my mistakes, because of what I am, am about to, I, I am about to die because of my poor decisions. And my question this morning, King's House, is I want you to take a good internal look and ask yourself, which one am I? Maybe you've been really good of hiding your own sins, but pointing out everyone else's flaws. Maybe you've been really, really good about putting on a church mask, coming on Sunday mornings, everything's great. I'm too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Here's that dumb Superman pose again. <laughs> Listen, or are you like this woman who even right now, right where you're sitting, right where you're watching, you can feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, privately exposing the sins that you've been doing. 
and is tugging at your heart right now and he's telling you, I forgive you and you are free. So this is what I want us to do really quick together as a church body with every head bowed and every eye closed. I would do a completely disservice to anyone who is in this place or watching online this morning who have never said yes to Jesus. If this story from the Bible, a true story, spoke to you this morning and you're like, Pastor Chris, I've been trying to live my life all on my own and God, am I making mistakes. I need a savior. And just like that heart, I need to be washed clean. And just like that heart, I desperately need Christ to hold me in his arms. And I need to hear you are not condemned, you are forgiven. And I'm ready, Pastor Chris, to say yes to Jesus and live a life free from sin. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one's looking, it's no one else's business between you and God, it's God's business. But if that describes you and you want to give your life to Christ, I just want you to slip your hand up and put it right back down. Yes, sir, I see that even before I said that, yes, sir. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I see that. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. I see that hand. Thank you so much. Listen, it's not too late. You might be thinking, Pastor Chris, it's too late for me, man. I'm too far gone. You, if only you knew what I've done, you would know that there's no way God's going to forgive me. Friends, I'm here to remind you that there is nothing you have done that's going to make God love you any less because you've had his love from the very beginning, all of it. And there is nothing you can do good that's gonna make you earn more of his love because again, you've had all of his love from the very beginning. So here's another chance, every head bowed, every eye closed between you and God and you and God alone. If that describes you and you say, Pastor Chris, I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus. I wanna be washed clean and I'm ready. Yes, ma'am, I see that hand back there. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I see that hand right there. Yes, amen, thank you. Wow, so many hands, guys. With every head bowed, thank you, sir, I see that. It's not too late. You can still put your hand down while I'm talking. It's not gonna interrupt me. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, the next thing I wanna ask is this. And again, I want you to take a good look on the inside right now. If you have been guilty of putting on a churchy mask and pretending like everything's okay, going through the motions of church, you show up. I'm so glad you're here, by the way, you look great. But you show up to church, you sing the songs, you hear the messages, but you go home and throughout the week, you are making poor decision after poor decision after poor decision, leading more and more into sinful mistakes. But you come back to church on Sunday, you put that mask back on, baby. Everything is great. Everything is good. I'm not gonna tell you what's in my closet. There's nothing there. If that describes you, and maybe just maybe, you've had a relationship with God all along, but something, Something's missing. And every time you pray, you wonder, God, where are you? Every time you open up that Bible, you're asking yourself, I am not getting it. Listen, I've been there. I have been through seasons of dryness, but I'm here to remind you that Christ has never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's with you on your highest of highs and he's with you on your lowest of lows and he'll never leave you or forsake you. So if this describes you of just going through the motions, and you have been guilty of going through the motions and still making poor sinful decisions after poor sinful decisions, I just want you to be honest with yourself and God right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, just slip up your hand and say, that, that's, that's me. Yeah, I see all those hands. Wow, 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 wow. My hand's even up, guys. We're, we're so guilty of doing this. Listen, God loves you and he wants to have an intimate, deep, relationship with you just like a father and son and a father and daughter have and he forgives you 
And so this morning, as we wrap up and we're all gonna pray together, keep those heads bowed, keep those eyes closed. It's not too late if you wanna slip up your hand. There's no magic formula to this, by the way. It's just a declaration between you and God. I'm ready to be forgiven. I'm ready to repent. Listen, repent means to completely turn away. Yes, ma'am, I see that hand. Repent means to completely turn away from the decisions you've done. Yes, ma'am, I see that hand too. God bless you. Listen. It means that you're no longer from this moment forward with Christ in your life, with you declaring that he is your Lord and savior, you are going to do a complete turnaround and you are no longer gonna live the life that you've been living just like this woman in the Bible did. So all together, corporately, those online, those uh, with us right here today, I, want you, I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. It's gonna be a twofold prayer. One, it's to ask Christ into our hearts for those who lifted up their hands this morning. And the other one is just a, a cry of repentance saying, God, I'm sorry for living a double life. I'm ready to rededicate my life back to you. Would you please just repeat after me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he is who he says he is, that he did what he said he would do and that he's doing what he always said he would keep doing. And so God, I surrender my life to you right now. And I thank you for forgiving me of my sins, washing me clean, giving me a new hope and a new future. And I dedicate my life now back to you. Use me in your plan. Here's the second part of that prayer. Heavenly Father, I repent for going through the motions. Please forgive me. Reignite that fire in my heart again for you. Help me to dive more into a real relationship with you. And the next time temptation comes knocking at my door, I'm gonna take it as an invitation to rely on your strength above my own. Heavenly Father, from this moment forward, God, for every family that is represented in this place and those watching online, God, I just send them out with a blessing. God, I thank you that you have liberated us. You have set us free. We are shameless. We are stain free. We are set free from all of our past mistakes and decisions. God, I thank you for all of those who said yes to Jesus for the first time today. So many hands went up, God, and I'm so grateful for that. And Lord, for all of us who admitted in this moment, we've been so guilty of just going through the motions. We've been so guilty of living a, a, a hypocrite life. Lord, help us from this moment forward to let our light shine in all of our lives. God, I know that there may be some consequences to the decisions we've made. And I know that it's gonna be hard to right some of these wrongs, but I thank you that your grace is sufficient enough. Your strength is more than enough. And God, you are worth it all. So Lord, I pray that you would bless every single person in this place and their families represented. Give them the strength to make the right decision. Help them to get connected more into this church, into their home groups, into people around them. Surround them, God, with godly influences to help them along their journey in this life. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. Come on, King's House, give it up for those who said yes to Jesus. Listen, before you're dismissed, 
Uh, today alone, over 25 people said yes to Jesus, guys. Over 25 people. So if that was you, if you said yes to Jesus for the first time, I want you to text this number 9700 with this one word, I said yes. And Pastor Mark just wants to talk with you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to invite you. There's things that we have for you. Like what's next for me? Check out that number, please text that number. And uh, listen, Loaves of Love is happening today. It's a ministry right here at the King's House at 1 p.m. If you know families who are hungry, they need a free hot meal, have them come here at 1 p.m., which is in less than an hour and they will have a hot homemade free meal, amen. Listen, I love you guys. You're dismissed. Thank you for letting me speak to you today. See you Wednesday for home groups. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you are in need of prayer or wish to speak to one of our pastors, please email us at info at And if you'd like to give towards the ministry of the King's House, you can do so by visiting our website, thekingshouse.church slash giving, or by texting any dollar amount to the number 84321 and respond to the prompts sent back to you. If you're ever in our area and want to come visit us, we meet every week at 124 B. Hubert Smith Drive in McAllister, Oklahoma. You can even plan your visit with us ahead of time where you can reserve your seats and parking spots and even pre-check in your kids before you arrive on the Sunday of your choosing. Just fill up that quick form at thekingshouse.church slash plan your visit. Hey, we know life is busy, so be sure to click that subscribe button so you can catch all of our latest messages. We look forward to seeing you very soon.